you know, I told them I was proud of, I'm proud of how they competed today, but we still have to, you know, they, they're not handing out participation trophies in the National Football League. It's about wins and losses. So every loss hurts. But I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you're wired, but not a big fan of the losing aspects. It's time to talk 49ers football on Gold Faithful with Brian Peacock and Nick Winkler. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Thanks for joining us on Gold Faithful. we got a great show lined up for you today. Joe Bomarito, 12-year NFL scout with the New York Jets. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at AskTheScout, and uh, he's going to come on a little bit later and talk to us about all kinds of stuff. And, of course, with me, as always, is this guy. Nicholas Winkler, come on down. <laughs> What's happening, man? How are you? It never gets old. Did your wife get those shoes? She did. All four pair. They all fit. Uh, the only thing I didn't keep was the laptop. I sold that. Oh, wow. Okay. kind of pay for the tax on the rest of the, the, the prizes that I won. Oh, nice. Okay. So that she got bread the... maker is fantastic. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. My wife makes a pretty sweet honey wheat. <laughs> she's made an oat nut as well. That's been fantastic. Had a little trouble at first. You know, the, the first wheat that came out was hard as a rock. But you, know, you got to feel those things out. Well, what's the secret with the bread maker then? It's all about timing, you know, okay. and ingredients. Especially when you start going off script. You know, you start throwing in oats and you start throwing in honey and things like that. Yeah. Just you know, trial and error. Okay. But it's it's fantastic when it happens because the house smells so good. Nice. And Oscar De La Renta were the shoes, right? Yeah, yeah, they were they were the the reason I won everything. It's because I knew that those were an expensive brand of shoes. So <laughs> my prize was, or my my contest was pretty simple. Which one costs the most? A ping pong table, a laptop computer, or four pair of expensive women's shoes? Got to be the shoes. I would have gotten that wrong. So uh, luckily, I looked out to the crowd, and all the women were yelling, "The shoes, the shoes!" <laughs> and you got a little help from uh, from Drew Carey as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. He's like, ooh, those are really nice shoes. Uh, that's a ping pong table. Mm, crappy laptop. Okay. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Good dude. Okay. Well, let's see. Well, I want to start off with a couple things, actually, before we get into the 49ers and uh, and everything going on there. Some NFC West interesting developments here. Uh, Jared Goff, it's been announced he's finally going to play. He's going to start for the Rams this week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so- they gave up a lot for him, so I guess uh, I'm, it's, it's a little... I don't know. I, I kind of question the timing a bit just because they are in the playoff hunt at this point. I wonder how much, I mean, obviously we don't see what goes on in practice. So I think it has to be, I, the, the only thing that makes sense is, to me is that it has to be that he has like cleared some sort of hump. You know, he sort of mm-hmm. made some sort of graduation in practice with knowing the offense and improving something because um, if, you know, Case Keenum's still Case Keenum and he'll be next week and he was four weeks ago. So the difference has to be all Jared Goff because because the you know obviously the Rams are still somewhat in the playoff hunt and so you're not going to ruin your season if you think you're putting Jared Goff in and he's going to completely fail and they said all along the plan was to hold him out a year which is smart you know uh, and right. he's still a skinny young guy he was a true junior coming out so um, that wasn't surprising that he didn't play right away although they gave up so much to you know mo- most times and you got to applaud the rams for not throwing him right in there cuz most of the time it's just too much you know once once the guy right. you have is obviously not the starter for the future you know everyone's clamoring from Jared Goff and I'm sure the fan base has been crazy for it and uh, they held off and I guess now it's time so we'll see if he is ready and I I'm, I'm really interested to see and it's funny because yeah. Carson Wentz looked like a super stud out of the gate and has stumbled <laughs> a little bit more recently you know you can't crown someone and put him in the hall of fame after 3 weeks 
And that's something we've learned. So this is a long, long process in the NFL. A Dak no, that's Prescott. something people are doing after 10 weeks with Dak Prescott. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to get to that. Dak Prescott obviously still looking really good and having an elite, elite, maybe the best we've seen in a while offensive line surely helps both he and Zeke Elliott over there in, in Dallas. So, um, you know, may, you know, 49ers might want to continue building that offensive line if, if you're going to follow that Dallas blueprint. Right, right. And to get back to the Rams really quick, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's a, it is a good time to get them in there. It's a home game. You know, you got Miami Dolphins going across country. Not the best team in the NFL. Definitely not the best defense, that's for sure. I mean, like you said, maybe he's really shown it in practice, shown it in in study, you know, film study. He showed it in the meetings, and and uh, and he's out there, and he can run an offense. And and maybe if they, you know, he, he's out there first half, and he throws three interceptions, maybe they go back to Keenum. I mean, what does that do for a guy's confidence going forward? It's definitely a risky move, but I, I like it. I, th- I think it's time. When I think of young players, for some reason, I always think back to the story that I once heard about Willie Mays and how he, when he was called up as a very young player for the Giants, he uh, struggled quite a bit. It was like one for, or oh for, you know, 20 something, you know, something crazy. And basically, mm-hmm. I don't remember who the coach was at that time, uh, obviously well before my time, but the, the coach sat him down and said, look, you're our guy. You're going to start every single day. So just go play. And all of a sudden he started to hit and, you know, obviously one of the best players we've ever seen. So I think that's the way you handle a young player. At this point, you have to not worry about the playoffs if you're the Rams because you put Goff in and you keep Goff in. I mean, I, unless unless he's in a situation where he's getting killed or something like right. that. Uh, otherwise, you got to let him, you know, get those game reps and it, he's not going to get that that game action. He's not going to get that last bit of development that has to happen when you're playing while sitting on the bench. So I would leave him in no matter how much he struggles. You know, you mentioned the the maybe, you know, if he's getting killed or something, which very well could happen. I mean, that offensive line in Los Angeles <laughs> yeah. is not great. I it's mean, look what Todd worst. Gurley has done this year. Nothing. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, they talk about a guy taking a huge step back in his sophomore year, and that that's definitely what's happening there. And so to maybe they're doing it just to open things up for Gurley. They're thinking, okay, Case Keenum's in there. Nobody's going to be worried about this guy throwing the ball down the field. So they're stacking the box, and Gurley's getting nothing. So they okay, let's get Goff in there. This guy's shown that he has a fantastic arm. He can throw the long ball. So maybe defenses will lay back a little bit with this new guy, and, and Gurley can can get things going. And, you know, maybe it's a, a slimmed-down playbook. Who, who knows? It, it's going to be very fun to watch come Sunday. Yeah, that's a great point about Gurley, too. And that reminds me of something we got uh, from Twitter. One of the followers, at uh, Pizzlepants, uh, one of my favorite followers over there on Twitter, uh, he said – 49ers doing something right, question mark. And that was a quote retweet from a Ryan McDowell who tweeted out a stat. Colin Kaepernick averaging 57 rushing yards in his first four starts this year. Uh, well, in his four starts this year. Todd Gurley averaging the same 57 rushing yards in his nine starts this year. Wow. So that's that puts that shows you what – I mean, obviously Colin Kaepernick, very good running quarterback. Todd Gurley, who most people thought would be you know in the MVP conversation at this point in the season – and one of the best running backs in the league, and 57 yards per game. Not hey, you, That's, you said the yeah. Go ahead. You said the K word. So I'm and let's get into Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. I mean, the guy's averaging over seven yards a carry on the season, which is is wonderful, you know, for for a, a quarterback. And he he is last among qualified quarterbacks though in completion percentage. So it's just kind of you, you get the the really great the top end running quarterback and then he he's basically the, the worst passing quarterback yeah. in the NFL right now but I, just by the eye test from what I saw 
at the you know his progression over the last few weeks it, it just looks like we're starting to see the old cap again i mean his legs look great even just his awareness in the pockets looking better looks like he's reading his progressions he's actually checking things down to me it feels like he he's really starting to remember the the muscle memory and just maybe just the the brain memory of what it's like to be an nfl quarterback and that was really it's been fun to watch the last couple of weeks no doubt he's looking more and more comfortable there under chip kelly's system and uh, obviously, he's getting stronger. He he looks like a lot of his weight is back. Um, it, it's still, it's, what, what's funny is actually from Chris Biederman on Twitter, he put some stats up pre and post bye week. So before the 49ers bye week, he was 46% completion for 165 yards per game, two touchdowns, one interception, 66.2 rating. After the bye, he's got a 59% completion percentage, still not good. Uh, but better, obviously, 304 <laughs> yards per game passing, three touchdowns to one interception, and 96.8 rating. And we, we've known this about Kaepernick, and it's the really the most obvious difference between he and Blaine Gabbert is Kaepernick hangs in the pocket a lot longer, and his his check down is his own legs. Right. And so, and it's and it's a great weapon to have. I mean, this guy ran for 55 yards. David Johnson ran for 55 yards in that game as well, which to me was was probably the most surprising aspect of this game. We're talking about their historically bad defense and rushing defense and how you know horrible it's been all season long. And and they held them to 80 yards rushing. I mean, that was that was fun to see. Absolutely. That was the number one thing on my list here is just the, the <laughs> you know, the biggest shocker. And I'm sure everyone in their mother played uh, David Johnson in their mm-hmm. in their daily fantasy leagues and and got burned on it because yeah it, unbelievable it was night and day on the road too on the road I mean, if you're giving Impressive. out game if you're giving out game balls the number one thing for me was Glenn Dorsey a true mm-hmm. nose tackle finally I think that's the the number one key if you're just looking at per- personnel wise looking at how this game went and uh that was obviously something that's been needed and we've talked about it before and and, and how Trent uh, hadn't addressed that position. Middle linebackers, linebackers played a little bit better. Shane Scope got on the field for a few snaps and, and looked very good uh, in those in that very limited action. I was hoping he was going to stay in there for a while. Um, but the whole defense played a lot better. And really, the biggest thing for this coaching staff is seeing the players not quitting, even though the team's 1-8 right. and eight now. Uh, DeForest Buckner just never stops. That guy's motor runs and runs and runs. One of the best things I liked about him in the draft, and the sky's the limit with him talent-wise. He's obviously not there yet. He's going to get bigger, stronger, smarter, and uh, work on technique. And I, th- I think the 49ers did get a good one there. And I don't know if he's going to be a perennial all-pro or anything, but uh, a, a lot of traits to work with. And the no, the never-stop hustle is something that you can't you can't teach. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the number one thing about the defense. And, and to me, it, the the telecast, the, the it pointed out that Jim O'Neill moved upstairs. You know, he, he moved up. And so that he get a better view of the field, which to me makes sense. I feel like offense and defense corners should be upstairs at all times, getting the overall view of what's happening. When you're on the sideline, you're limited. You know, you have just what your guys are seeing upstairs and relaying it down to you. Whereas if you're in charge of a defense, you need to see what's happening out there. You need to be able to have the overview, have that God view, if you will, looking down on the field. Jim O'Neill was up there. Look what happened. The, the, you know, the proof is in the pudding. No doubt. It's the second game upstairs, and just whatever happened, whatever they figured out, something scheme-wise, um, and I didn't get a chance to watch the game a second time with the coach's film or anything like that. Um, I did not have the Niners game when I was charting routes for PFF this week. But it's – oh, Eli Harold is another guy. i got to mention him really quick. The, the, right. the first time he's made any impact on the defense. And he looked – I mean, just, just – I mean, I, I don't know if it's it's – 
something changed for him at all, but just it was nice to just see him do something, you know, the, the strip sack. <laughs> and it, it, so so cheers to uh, Eli Harold. He's definitely in the game ball conversation there. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I really thought the Niners were going to just blow it and win this game. They're going <laughs> towards the end of the game. And <laughs> it's funny. So yeah. it was nice to, nice to see them lose. Uh, <laughs> hard to say that, but. Oh, the best. Know, come on. The best yeah, there's, I could there's nowhere for. to go this season. So you you know, right now you're sitting in that number two spot. The Browns aren't winning any football games this year. The Jaguars probably aren't going to win any more either. So you know, don't don't blow it, 49ers. No doubt. The the my first note after the run game was the best we could have hoped for is what happened in Arizona. Yeah. The team yeah, still it was a showing. fun game to watch. The Absolutely. team looked solid. Kaepernick looked good. The defense looked good, and they lost the football game. Yeah, he's still showing fight, still showing effort, gave the yeah. defending NFC champs a run for their money in their own house. Right. Um, and that was a horrible game last year, obviously, mm-hmm. the cap interception game. and uh, But they still maintain that draft status, which is key from here on out. So er, er, that game is about the perfect script you could write for this 49ers team this season and seeing some pluses, seeing some positives, seeing improvement across the board. Um, I will say as good as, you know, they looked, they, they looked like a good team and, and cap looked better and it continues to look better when people were, were tweeting out, Oh, is cap now still the franchise QB? No, come on, calm down. <laughs> He's still, you know, two weeks of acceptable QB play. I mean, how far have expectations fell for 49ers fans where they're so excited about what we saw from cap? I mean, better. Yes, but come on. You know, we're just getting to mediocrity, and right. people are like, "Oh, but that's go. just it." Yeah. When, when you're looking up at mediocrity, it's nice to get there. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It's 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 a sad situation to achieving <laughs> mediocrity, and uh, that might be that might have to go in our uh, Blu-ray 49ers 26 season. We've got oh, actually, let's go to the power rankings for our, our 2016 right. DVD title power rankings. So number one, still, what the hell just happened? That was from. <laughs> That's Jim still O'Neill. The title. Yeah, that's still number one. That's Jim O'Neill from October 18th. Uh, Short of the Sticks. That was from yeah. everyone in the world on October 2nd. That was sort of the end of Blaine Gabbert. Uh, this is from the summer, falling backwards into production. That was from guest Matt Harmon. We were talking that was about fantastic. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the uh, 49ers prospects for fantasy production, and that has not happened. The big one was Torrey Smith there, and he's been non existent in this offense. Man, for and, sure. Uh, yeah, now we have a new one to add to that list. So, uh, you know yeah, go ahead. Well, you mentioned something about, you know, this was the best thing that, that could have happened, what we saw. I mean, yes and no. I mean, Carlos Hyde, that was definitely tough to watch. I mean, I liked that he left this game and you know, didn't get a new injury, didn't didn't have to leave the game for an injury. Uh, but 13 carries for 14 yards, I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. No, and I think he's probably still hurt. Um, and... Chip Kelly, after the game, alluded to that Hyde needs to still turn his shoulder square and get up the field a little bit more, a little bit mm-hmm. sooner. Um, maybe he's kind of bouncing things outside, or maybe he's not trusting himself physically. Right. But obviously he's not 100%, so I like the toughness to go out there and play. Sure. But yeah, that that was not the Carlos Hyde we wanted to see yet, so that was definitely one of the negatives of that game. And really the whole offensive line is uh, it's obviously better. It's not the debacle of last year. But there's some cohesion missing. I think, you know, and we I talked about this before where you can't just keep flipping head coaches every year. And this is right. one of the reasons why I really want to see Chip Kelly back, no matter how the rest of the season ends, because it takes some time, you know. And I want to see this thing starting to hum. I want to see uh, his quarterback in there. I want to see um, I, I want to see the offensive line as a cohesive unit. You know, I want to see what this – I want to see what his system really looks like 
at full capacity before we ship them out. You know what I mean? Even no matter what the record is, because I, we haven't seen that. And it's running a little bit slower than I think he wants it to. And it's slowed down a little bit more since Cap has come in. Um, so we'll see if that starts to ramp up a little bit towards the end of the season now that Cap is obviously looking a lot more comfortable. Yeah, and you know, and back to things that, that went wrong in this game, uh, penalties, you know, nine for a hundred. That, that's not great. You know, that, that's definitely and, and you forced four turnovers and you lost the football game. Yeah. Oh no. You know, again, happy they did, but these are just, you know, and they gave up almost four hundred yards passing. You know, it's there's just a lot of things that this team needs to improve on. I mean, we, we talk about it week in and week out. They've lost eight straight. This is not a good football team, but this was at least a watchable game. You know, this was a game that I was actually, you know, kind of like, oh, I'd stand up every once in a while and, oh, yeah, get it. And, think, you know, I haven't done that in a while. The fan <laughs> yeah. in me has been mad the last few weeks and just wanting to turn the channel. And I'll be honest, when it was 14 nothing, I think it was 14 nothing or, or something close to that, I was just like, oh, here we go again. Here it is. And then Cap let him down the field. It's like, oh, okay, all right, all right. Go got the field goal before the <laughs> half. Okay, this is going to be interesting. So that was that was just good. That The fan part of me was very happy with this past week. I, I totally agree. And there's definitely those moments of still excitement. You know, you, yeah. you, you're battling that feeling. You're like, yes, you know, and they, they tied it up. You're like, you know, at in the moment, you're like, go win this thing. And then right. afterwards, you're like, okay, thank God they didn't win that. <laughs> Kinda, you know, it's that feeling. <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> and you know what? We probably don't have to worry about that at all this weekend with New England coming to town. I mean, you're talking about a team that is just, oh, that offense is just unreal. The Garrett Blunt leading the NFL in touchdowns. You got Tom Brady being Tom Brady week in and week out. Even last week for Tom Brady, the guy, you know, throws for 300 yards, but no touchdowns because Garrett Blunt got three of them. And, and they, oh, man, that stop against Seattle there. The four shots inside the two or inside the five, whatever it was, and to hold New England like that, bravo to the to, to the uh, to the Seahawks. There, was, I don't like to give them props because I hate the Seahawks, but that was an impressive showing on Sunday night. Blunt should have had another touchdown right there. I know, they, I know. They only gave it to him once. Are you kidding me? I mean, did the Seahawks not learn from how they won the Super Bowl? That was what was blowing my mind. I was like, what, are they trying to return the favor right now? Is there some weird like secret handshake with head coaches where when something happens bad, they like, try to return it later? Like, a like I bad owe you co- one in, in a much less important game. Yeah, like bad calls in the NBA, how they just, you know, right. the, like Make the refs like, yeah, I blew that. So here's another one. For, here's a freebie. <laughs> it, it was crazy. Um, yeah. Oh, speaking of the Seahawks, that's another thing NFC West related. Uh, they waived Kristen Michael today. Right. I mean, they must be like, okay, Thomas Rawls is our guy. Oh, Procise. Yeah, he's legit. How terrible must it be to have Kristen Michael in your locker room for how often he gets just completely cut for how talented of a human being he is? And he must, and he, he's had so much trouble figuring things out and getting his career rolling, been cut a bunch of times. And now again, I mean, he, yeah. he, he's good enough to keep on your roster just because someone else is healthy now. You don't just release a guy like that. So there's something else going on there. That's 49ers to go get him just to get a little insight into Seattle. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, just don't let him talk to any of the other players. Just let right. him hang out in the meeting room with the coaches and learn some stuff and then cut him again. <laughs> well, I mean, they're one and eight. Let's keep losing. Let's get this guy out there. Let's start him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep it going in that negative direction. I think at when his career's done or maybe down the road, we might hear some weird stories about Kristen Michael because his career just doesn't make any sense at all. Right. No, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Maybe he just, you know, he gets out there and the the lights are too big for him. You know, they're too bright and he just he can't put it all together once he's on the field. Yeah, that's that might be it. Um, I mean, he looked great against the 49ers, but 
you know, the 49ers have made a lot of running backs look great this year. Yeah, and his his season was sort of starting to go downhill. He was like really three good weeks to start it off, and then um, his production was kind of falling a little bit. Oh, one thing before we get Jill Bomarito on the phone here. Uh, Trent Baalke, did you see this? He met with reporters. It was kind of like all of a sudden before game day, there was all this new information with Trent Baalke and uh, kind of stealthily met with reporters. And it sounded like he was jumping on the grenade, maybe in an attempt to save his own job. But um, basically, he was saying ownership is, quote, extremely supportive. They let us make football decisions. They support us wholeheartedly, and they give us resource necessary to do it. Uh, That's what's frustrating, he said. If people want to put blame, find it. Look right here, because I'm given everything I need to be successful in the job that I'm doing, period. Interesting. So... Okay, here's my problem. He's signing his own pink slip, basically, right there, saying, you know, his only out before was that, you know, we we talked before about the show jokingly about the future Trent versus Jed leak wars that that will ensue after he's fired. And this is the complete opposite where he's saying all me like the, the lack of spending money in free agency, the bad draft picks, the coaching, like hiring everything. That's all on me. And that's just even more of a slam dunk that you fire Trent Baalke if that's the truth. But maybe by saying this, um, he's getting a little bit of favor with ownership and they might want to keep him around because he's a good soldier. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he says they give us the resources to do it. Okay, you're $43 million under the salary cap. You know, was that them making you do that? Or is that your decision? I mean, maybe that's his way of just being like, you know, I can only buy, you know, spend what they allow me to spend sort of thing. Maybe he is just kind of putting a big defense up right now. Like, look, I did the best I could with what I was given from management. I don't know. To me, it's the opposite. It sounds like they yeah. said spend whatever you want, and he didn't want to spend. I mean, that's the way it, it reads to me. I mean, if that's the case, this guy should never have a job in the NFL again because <laughs> right. I mean, you're $43 million under the cap. You're all about, you know, building your own guys from within, and yet you can't do that. You know, you can't draft the guys that can become starters in the NFL or even just get on the field at some point in their NFL career. And I don't know. Yeah, I and just, I, mean, I definitely want to ask Joe about this because it's so interesting. And I'm obviously a draft nerd and and building a roster is it's something I, I you know, it's something that I just really follow closely. And mm-hmm. I believe in draft and develop. I think that's the way you do it. But you also have to attack needs in free agency. And it frees you up to draft just good players in the draft and not have to be forced to be looking in certain situations and at certain positions because your immediate needs are are met in free agency. Right. So and that's the way I think it should be done. And and for so many needs that were obvious on this team and none of them were hit, you know, with the exception of, you know, a you know, pretty mediocre left guard, that is surprising. And it sounds to me like that was just all Trent. That's that's his philosophy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and interesting. If that's the case. Get him the hell out of town. You know, he's got <laughs> he's got no business leading an NFL franchise. If if you do those things and they work, you look like a genius. When you don't, you know, you you're a horrible GM. And that's that's the risk you take in a job like that, too, especially when you do something like this. You know, when you when you don't spend nearly what is that, like a third of your salary cap money, that that's not good. And then you have a one and eight team. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the plan. You know, maybe there's some big plan that we don't know about that they want to get a high draft pick next year and bring in a bunch of guys with all this extra money and and start things fresh next year. Maybe that's their plan and we don't know it. And and, and they, you know, in three years from now, we're gonna be like, oh man, yeah, that Trebelke, oh man, he's a genius. But from where we're sitting right now, that seems pretty far fetched. 
I like where you're going with that. Uh, the, the the crazy plot twist. Yeah, I think you've been I mean, watching. It could be there, right? <laughs> you've been watching too much Netflix, I think. <laughs> but you're always looking for that twist in those M Night Shyamalan movies. This <laughs> yeah, is, exactly. This is similar. Okay, let's see. Let's see what that twist is. Uh, maybe he was like a he was a robot all this time. There it is. Right? I love it. Westworld style. Okay, uh, let's get to the scout. Let's pick his brain. All right, joining us now, a 12-year NFL scout for the New York Jets. You can follow him on Twitter at AskTheScout, Joe Bomarito. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you're welcome, Brian and Nick. I'm happy to be here. Hey, so before we get into things here, I, I was just hoping you could kind of give our listeners out there, many of which are amateur scouts in their own minds, how you got into scouting for an NFL team. Well, you know, I heard a rumor there, uh, Brian, that uh, you were kind of a scout. Is that is there some truth to that? Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I don't. I never liked the term draft, Nick, but I definitely uh, have been watching as much film as possible for a very long time now, and uh, kind of do my own Forty Nine ers shadow draft and draft along with the team. And uh, I've been doing it for a very long time. Done some scouting reports for some places online, and did a little bit of a training under Greg Gabriel, who used to be the personnel guy over there with the with the Bears. So. Definitely a well-informed fan is what I would consider myself. Uh, that's good. That's what I heard. I heard rumors about you now. Um, <laughs> the words you know, I'll be happy to talk about how I got into it. Um, I spent a lot of time here on the Monterey Peninsula. I'm a local guy here. And uh, I felt really at the time it was more important for me to spend time with my family and raise my kids. And so I stayed here and got involved in football locally for many years and then uh, became good friends with another local guy you might know, uh, Herman Edwards. Oh, yeah. And Yeah, and so he was at Tampa uh, at the time, and uh, he had talked with Tony Dungy about becoming a head coach. And so he shared his thoughts with me, and I, I was really happy for him. And he told me at the time, he says, you know, if I get a job, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you on. And, you know, I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, sure, here we go with some <laughs> campaign promises. You know, I just wish you good luck, hope you get it, you know. And what ended up happening is he got the job in New York, the short story is, and uh, he's on a plane flying back there that night, and he calls me, and he says, hey, I got the New York job, and uh, pack your bags, you're coming with me, you know. So that's the way that started out, and I ended up uh, going back to New York for training camp, and what they wanted to do is get me started in the personnel side of the uh, football business. So they were going to start me out lightly, because another guy that you know was there by the name of Trent Balky. Oh, wow. <laughs> at the, okay. At the time that I came there. So, uh, and my job was going to be there and give me a handful of schools, get my feet wet, learn the business, and then go from there. So, while I'm at training camp, uh, what ends up happening is uh, Trent ends up leaving. He goes to the Washington Redskins. And so they turned to me and said, okay, Joe, here you go. Here's 55 schools. They patted me on the back and said, go get them. <laughs> and I, I, my throat just about went up to my neck, and I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. And, you know, I panicked. I said, I'm going to be on the road. I'm away from my family. I didn't even know what the heck was going on. But I ended up going out, and uh, it turned out pretty good. Uh, the first year out there, I got all the stuff done I needed to get done, and I ended up being there for 12 years. So that's how I got started. Yeah, that's that kind of. It sounds like it went against you a little bit that's there, awesome. Joe. You wanted to to stay local here on the uh, Monterey Peninsula, and and all of a sudden you find yourself uh, traveling around the country. That was actually going to be my next question: is is it a lot of of going to these schools and watching practices or watching games, or is is it just a lot of film? 
Well, it's a lot of everything. Uh, there is a lot of film, no question about that. Probably more film than anything else you do. But uh, when you're on the road, you're mostly talking to people. You want to talk to coaches. You want to talk to trainers. You want to talk to people that are connected to the players that you're you know, evaluating, finding out background information and whatnot. But uh, a lot of people have come to me every time I, I'm out somewhere and they say, oh, you know, I wish I had your job. you got a dream job and everything. But, you know, this is a good question because you, people don't really know what you go through. It's not just going to football games on Saturday and watching the college games and rah-rah, and then, you you know, you go home. Uh, it's not like that at all. Uh, it's, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of grinding. You go from school to school. It's it's mapped out. You do your own schedule. But especially in the West here where schools are so far apart, you can average 250 miles between schools at times. And I've gone over 1,000 miles in one stretch at times also. So, you know, you start your morning at like 5 in the morning, get up, have your breakfast, get to the school. You watch tape for about three or four hours. Then you meet with coaches, trainers get information there, and then by the afternoon time, you're going to practice. So most of the time, you don't even have lunch. So you work through practice, and then uh, when practice is over, if you've gotten information, if it's a smaller school where there's not many players, then you're climbing in your car and driving in the next school, and you'll get to the hotel maybe at about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, uh, view your notes for the next day's school you're going to, and then hit the sack and do it again. So it's uh, it's a it's a grind. It is a grind, uh, but it's one that uh, to do this job you got to love it, and and that's that's what it's all about. That's awesome, Joe. Before we get to some of the specific players in the 49ers and stuff, I want to. I, I read an article recently about scouts and and writers and how Marriott hotels is where it's at. Is it was that that way for you? With collecting points, and uh, I read a story about a guy who who uh, paid for his daughter's like insane awesome vacation and uh, honeymoon all through Marriott points. Did, did, <laughs> did, were you a Marriott guy? That's, that's funny you bring that up. Yes, of course, uh, Marriott guy. Yeah, it's, uh, They're great hotels, obviously, and uh, you collect a lot of points and do a lot of things with them. Like you said, give weddings, you can travel. Uh, and, of course, I'm a lifetime member, so you know I can still go to Marriott and have the concierge or, you know, get the selected rates. Yeah, you are right on there. Marriott is a is a winner for a scout, definitely. Okay, so let's get started with with the 49ers and just uh, just an overview, and I don't know how closely being local here in Monterey that, that you've been paying attention to the 49ers, but how do you evaluate Chip Kelly and the rest of the 49ers coaching staff with really a lack of talent that's on the roster right now? Well, you know, uh, here again, you, you hit a couple of good points there. I know Chip Kelly because I visited with him when he was at Oregon, with his, his uh, players then, and, and he is a good football coach. Uh, and I think really when you look at it, a coach, in my opinion, is really as good as the players, players he has. I mean, if you look at Chuck Noll when he was with the Steelers, you know, look at all those championships he won. He had a, a house full of Hall of Famers. But when those guys left there, the – wins weren't coming quite as, as regular as they used to do. So it's got a lot to do with the players in both. And, and I can remember Herm Edwards always telling us, you know, you brought us the players here, and we can't screw them up. So, you know, it kind of goes both ways there. you you got to be able to have a good mix of, of a player that's going to fit the system 
that your coach is going to run. And with today's NFL, it's pretty tough because I've been in a lot of situations where uh, coaches have changed. New ones come in, they have new philosophies. They change the type of player that they're looking for. And so all of a sudden you go into the draft now looking at players that you really weren't considering for your football team at that time. Now they are an important guy. So it's, it's, it's like putting together a puzzle and it can be disrupted at times just by changing a coach too many times. It has different philosophies, but as far as Chip Kelly goes, I think he's a good football coach. He's proven to be a very good college football coach. And I think, you know, with the system that he's brought to the NFL, you know, there's things you have to really look at from that standpoint, because when you're in college, a team may have maybe one, two, depending what how big the school is, guys that have NFL caliber ability. So when you come at a system like he has there, you can expose a lot of players and you can have a lot of success that way. But when you come to the NFL, everybody's got an NFL player. So the guys that you were really exposing before, it's not quite as easy as it was in college. So I think there's a transition there that's, uh, that he's probably experiencing here, in my opinion, uh, that you know you have to adjust to. And some guys do adjust to it, some don't. I mean, look at Pete Carroll. He came in, didn't do very well early in his years. He left, went back to college. He's come back and now been very successful. So coaches have a development also they need to go through and learn and adapt. So it's there's a lot of moving parts there, but I, I hope you get what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, so Joe, um, you spent 12 years out there. You said you grind it out. You know, you've seen so many players in your time. I'm sure you've gotten a lot right. I'm sure you've gotten a lot wrong. I mean, that's just part of, of what you do. Uh, I'm just wondering if, if there's just one guy. Who's your best call? Who's the guy that you saw out there and you said, that guy's going to be a star and, and he turned into one. Well, when you're, you're asking a scout that, now you're going to get a guy that's in the lower round he's going to talk about because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to, to pick the guys in the top four, three to four rounds because those are usually pretty good football players. But once you get after that, then you really, really got to gotta hunt and pick the fine guys. Uh, a couple guys come to mind. Uh, one of them was a local guy that you might remember. Uh, we got him in the fourth round, uh, Dwight Lowry from San Jose State. Yeah, sure. Drafted him. Uh, another guy out of Washington State, uh, I think that was back in probably 04, was Eric Coleman. He was a free safety out of Washington State. He ended up walking on the field for us and starting from day one. Uh, and then there's another guy that did get away from us. Uh, and we had taken him in the seventh round. He was actually a compensatory pick, and he was a running back. His name was Derek Ward, uh, and we had drafted him like with the seventh pick. He, uh, he was a Fresno State guy, and he ended up going to Ottawa, Kansas, uh, and played there. So we picked him and tried to hide him on the uh, in our practice squad, but we made a mistake because we went in the scrimmage the New York Giants, and we let him play in that game a little bit. And so he got exposed to them there, and they picked him off of our practice squad, and he ended up having a pretty good career over there. Yeah, I remember. That's just a few guys I can think of. I remember Derek Ward. He was he was thick in the legs. Yeah, he was. He was. He was a good football player. 
Um, but yeah, those are just a few guys uh, that probably in the lower ends. That's that's where I think scouts take a lot more pride in, in guys from the lower rounds that that you find. You know, that's what you you kind of take pride in that. And most teams look to their scouts for those guys in the from the fourth round on usually. Uh, but above that, the the big brass is more you know apt to pick those guys. But uh, that's uh, that's where you kind of get your your fulfillment when you find guys like that. So you mentioned the first four rounds, and that's kind of where Trent Balky is. That's where he's had his roughest patch, and he's hit a lot of those late guys. He's got he's got some really good fifth rounders, Quentin Dial. He's got uh, Aaron Lynch, Trent Brown. He got in the seventh round. So late rounds, he's he's really killing it. But uh, some of those early rounds is is where you expect to have your starters and your really strong, you know, the strength of your team. If if I was to ask you to put your GM hat on. And how would you attack the holes on the 49ers roster right now, just as in a big picture sort of way? Because, you know, quarterback is a question mark. They've had some problems with a run defense here. You know, offensive line, there's there's no really big-time wide receivers on this roster. How do you start if you were anointed GM tomorrow? Well, I think the one thing you got to do is you got to let the guys play that haven't played. And, and right now it sounds like they're already doing that. Uh, they're playing with a lot of guys that are backups over there. And you want to do a good evaluation of what you got because, first of all, when the end of the season comes, you don't want to get rid of guys that, that, that can really help your football team. So you really got to make sure you evaluate them while you have them and know who they are for sure and whether they're going to be in the future. Um, the other thing is, is I think, you know, you talk about the coach, you talk about the GM, you talk about the personal people. Well, when I look at the 49ers, I, here's what comes to light to me. Uh, that team, in my opinion, uh, when they were really kind of on the rise, was a part of Scott McLuhan. You know, I thought Scott did a great job, and he's done a great job at other places also. And I thought he did a great job of bringing talent in and had the, had them going in the right or excuse me the right way, mm-hmm. um, you know. And they were just the coach away from being there. And then they got Harbaugh, who I think is a great coach also. Uh, and that team really kind of stepped up there. But since then, it seems like they've lost lost too much. They lost uh, leadership. And that, to me, is one of the important things is you got to have some leaders in that locker room. And then if you look at the 49ers, ask yourself, who are those guys? Who are the ones that are, when things get rough, when, when the times are tough, that are going to step up and bow their neck and, and just force their will on their teammates in that locker room to, to not fold and to keep going forward. And so I think it's got a lot to do with finding the right personnel. And I, I'm not opposed to maybe you, you want to call it rebuild. That's probably what it would be, would be a rebuild in my opinion. Um, but I sure darn well, I want to make sure what I have now, what do I want to keep of what I got? And, and I, and I also want to have as many draft picks as I could get coming into this next draft. I want to draft. If I got 10 picks, I'm not trading them. I'm going to get myself players. I want to get players in there. I need new blood the fine guys are going to help this team win. I love that you brought up leadership, and Navarro Bowman obviously has been a massive loss for the 49ers, not only from a talent standpoint in the middle of that defense, but also his leadership. Uh, there are rumors of Joe Staley trade at the deadline, and I'm sure those rumors will come back up again in the offseason. How, how do you value a draft pick versus a really good, though aging player, You know who would protect a young QB's blindside like Joe Staley would, but also provide that veteran leadership? You know How, how, how do you put a value on that? Well, I mean, you've got one there. If you got one, 
why do you want to get rid of them? I mean, you, you're, you're, you're trying to get more of them. And I think when you have some leaders like Staley, uh, you, I, I, for me, I keep the guy. Those guys are, are of value to your team. There, there is leadership in a guy like that. And that's somebody you want to help build on. Why get rid of him? And then you have to replace him when you could keep them. So in my opinion, I keep guys like that. I, I would not get rid of guys that, that can help my football team that, that have value. If I really want to win, I want to win. I'm going to keep those guys. Uh, and, and that's how I look at it. If you got a good player, keep them. The guys you want to get rid of are the guys that aren't good. Get rid of those guys. Cause those guys they aren't going to help you. That's a great segue to this. If you are, the 49ers, and you're drafting at the very top of this draft. Being the scout, I'm sure you're paying very close attention to college football right now. Do, do you see a QB worthy of the top three pick in the draft? Because to me, I, I don't see one. And to to me, it's it's one guy. And we'll see if you agree with me on this. And I've been preaching on the show for a little while that Miles Garrett is a slam dunk number one overall pick in the 2017 draft. Well, he is a good player. And yeah, I hate to use the word slam dunk because – you never know what's going to happen or who's going to get that kid and, or, and who could possibly screw the kid up. But uh, he is definitely a, a good football player, and I, I do agree with you on that standpoint. Uh, and as far as there being other guys right now worthy of a, a number one draft choice, I, I don't see it either. I think if I'm trying to rebuild the 49ers right now, I'm looking to get players in other areas, other positions uh, that can be impact players. Uh, the quarterback's not there now. Well, that's okay. It's okay. You can always go out and get a veteran, and and, and if there is one out there that'll help your team. Uh, and the two quarterbacks that are with San Francisco now, uh, I still like Kaepernick. Uh, you know, I I did evaluate him in college, uh, followed him up through here, and I mean he's proven that he can win. Um, but you know, obviously he needs some guys around him, and and most of them do. Not everybody's a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning. Those guys come around very rarely. So most quarterbacks, you got to find out what are their strengths, you know, and then build a team around their strengths. Don't build a team that's to the coach's strength and not the quarterback's strength because that's the guy you're going to win with. So you got to make him comfortable in doing the things that, that he's successful at, I think. So to me, I, I like Kaepernick, and if they don't get a quarterback, you know, you still you still evaluating this guy. I'd keep him and uh, wait till the next time a guy comes available, and then go after him. But in the meantime, let's start filling all these other areas up that we need help in, and getting good quality guys. And 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 it, you say good quality, I say good quality guys, but there's a method to that to get there. And, and when you talk about scouting, you talk about looking at players. It's not just looking at them on TV, and you know, because we can all see a good player. They always jump off the screen at you. But there's things you don't know about him either that you don't see on the screen, about his background, his personality, his smarts. There's, there's so many key ingredients that go into a player and then how he's going to fit into that locker room, how he's going to help the football team uh, be better. Is he going to be a guy for us? Uh, you know, Or is he going to be just a special teams guy or just a guy that we can put on the practice squad? you got to identify what they are, how they're going to help you, and then, uh, you know, place him in that slot if he's going to fit your team. So there, there's a lot to it. It's, it's easy to, to, you know, you know they talk about you missed on this guy or you didn't on this guy and everybody else did or didn't. It doesn't matter to me on that stuff because 
everybody, believe me, everybody knows each player. Every team knows each player. But there's only one pick you get each time. You get one in each round. So somebody's going to pick that guy, and everybody's going to look, well, the guy screwed up. They all screwed up. This one guy went to one team. Well, they didn't screw up. They just didn't have the opportunity to pick him at the right time that they had him on the board. But I think uh, I think the players are, are are pretty well slotted in the position they should be drafted in. The key is, is is making the right decision at the right time. And that, again, falls on your GM, your scouting staff, and what type of information they're getting, who you can trust, who you don't trust. It's a uh, you know, it's it's really a it's it's, it's quite of a, a system to go through to, to find the right player for your football team because these teams start out with probably over fifteen hundred plus players, and it is more than that, I believe me, each year, and they try to cut it down to maybe a hundred guys, and then cut that down again to just specific. You know, you got five picks, seven picks, or whatever, and that's all you're going to get. And those guys have got to help your football team, and you, you really can't screw it up. You know, you try not to, and, and, and you don't get everybody right. Nobody does. If they did, they wouldn't need any scouts. They just pick one out of the hat, and they're they're off and running. But we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. Uh, everybody makes mistakes. You just don't want to make more mistakes than you do good ones. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Hey, Joe, before we let you get out of here, uh, so it's draft night. You've done all your homework. You've sent in all your information about your guys and this and that. Is there ever that phone call where it's like, "Hey, Joe, were you sure about this guy? You know, is this is this really the, the guy we're, we're thinking about drafting him? Is, is this the the guy we want on our football team?" Well, yeah, I've had that. Um, you know, I'll tell you, it was one of the guys I mentioned to you actually uh, happened, in, and it's not the phone call. Basically, it's I, I'm there in the draft room because with us, they we were in the draft room when we drafted in New York, and. Uh, we've always done well in the fourth round. We had a good streak going, the guys that we drafted. And, and I really stood on the table for Dwight Lowry from San Jose State. I think that was back in 08. And uh, I pleaded the draft. I wanted this guy on our football team. I knew he could help us. And so we ended up drafting him. And just as I'm walking out the door, our GM was Mike Tannenbaum. And he stops me at the door and he says, I hope you're right about this guy. You better be right about this guy. And I said, Mike, just relax. I said, he's going to be all right. And he turned out okay for us. He's a 12-year NFL scout for the New York Jets. You can follow him on Twitter at AskTheScout. Joe Balmerito, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Hey, thanks, Joe. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Good stuff. I could have talked to him all night long pretty much. All night. All night. I have so many questions, and I'm just like, oh, this yeah. is a poor guy. I told him 15 minutes, and here we're going on 25 minutes. Yeah, we had to cut off that interview, and I've got so many names and, and players I wanted to talk about, but we're going to definitely have to have him on very soon. Yeah, and just real quick, one thing that really stood out to me that he said, you, you asked him the question about, hey, if you were the GM today, you know, what would you do? And and what he said was, I need new blood. I need to get some new blood in here. And and he's exactly right. You know, there's there's a lot of guys on this team that just – you know, they're, they're, they may be NFL caliber players, but, you know, they're, they're not what the 49ers need at this time. And most, I think a lot of those are on defense. You see a lot on in, you know, the wide receiving core and, and this anatomy, maybe the quarterback's not here. Maybe it is. And it's just, it, it's, it's that time where you start playing the guys that, that haven't been playing. And he said, that's, you know, that's obviously one of the big steps you do. We've been talking about that for weeks now. And, uh, and the 49ers are doing it. Maybe they're doing it because of injuries, but at the same time, you know, they, they are definitely seeing new blood in there. And as this 1-8 season progresses 
and uh, and they fall to one and nine this weekend against New England. Uh, I think we may see a few more guys get out there uh, that haven't seen a lot of playing time so far this season. It's rough because there's already a ton of new blood on the roster. Development and and evaluation, and that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, it's going to be a tough week against New England this weekend. Um, can't expect a win, obviously. Uh, I would like to see at least something. You know, may, maybe it's it's Curly. You know, we saw the the brief moment of Curly's punt return when it was exciting, and then oh, and then he fumbled. <laughs> and, you know, just just something. I want to see something exciting that makes me stand up out of my chair, that makes me root for my 49er team, and then. You know, as we've seen eight games in a row, it, it ends with an L. Yeah, Tom Brady, Levi's Stadium for the first time. And uh, obviously he's coming home. This was his hometown team. So that'll be interesting. And, and we'll see if we get like an angry version of Brady where he just goes crazy. <laughs> Speaking of Brady, did you see the quote from Eric Reed today? No. Oh, it was really funny. Um, let's see. Oh, yes. Yeah, so Eric Reed on Tom Brady in the locker room. He said, quote, if I can get my hands on one of his balls, that would be huge for me. Wait, don't quote that. <laughs> so props to Eric Reed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. Just yeah, I've been there too. It's just halfway out of your mouth, and you realize, okay, that's that's not good. Well, Rob Gronkowski is the other one I want to mention because he's out. So that's huge. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's big for the 49ers. Biggest mismatch in the league. Uh, he's going to miss the game. So pick up Martell Spinnett on all your fantasy leagues. That's about all I have to add about that. I think we're going to see a lot of Garrett Blunt. Deion Lewis might make his uh, his debut as well. Oh yeah, uh, they, yeah, they got James White. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, talent there in that backfield. I don't even want to start getting into the wide receiving core and defense. Not too shabby either. So this this may be a rough weekend. Yeah, hopefully Fort Harrison get their hands on Tom Brady's balls and uh, get them in their hands. Yeah, get them in their hands. We've been here long enough. Let's let's call this one. I want to thank Joe Malbarino for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening, everyone on Twitter. You can follow me at BD Peacock on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Bay Area Wink. Always subscribe, review the show if you can on iTunes. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, everywhere. Give us an email if you'd like at goldfaithful49 at gmail.com if email is your thing. And we will talk to you next time. See you.